Do you ever have those moments? Do you ever have those moments where you're in prayer and the Lord or the Holy Spirit lays a Bible verse into your heart and you have no idea what it means? Have you ever had that? Like, I pray uh, on a daily basis, and for the last few years, I've really tried to make sure that I leave enough time to do listening prayer. So often we pray and we have a long list of things that we need to get off our chest or to ask the Lord for because we have a lot of things that we need the Lord to come through for. But oftentimes we don't leave time to do this, to just listen, to say, Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, in this moment, what do you need me to know? What do you need me to tell me about any aspect of my life? And so five years ago, I was in some prayer and I was listening. And I said, Lord, just speak to me. And oftentimes he'll place like something that either uh, like immediately, these are the best. If you ever do listening to prayer, this is what you want. You listen and there's immediately something that like edifies or just brings clarity or convicts you in some way. And you're like, all right, I got it, Lord. You're speaking loud and clear. There's sometimes where you sit there and you say, I got nothing. You sit there for 45 minutes to an hour and the Lord has nothing to download on you. And that's okay too. And sometimes you get these words that are like, you have no idea what they mean. But you know, in a couple years or maybe a couple months or hopefully a couple days, I would always hope that it's sooner than later. It makes sense to you. It brings some clarity to you. So I'm sitting here and I'm praying and, and it was a specific time five years ago, and I was working at the time at World Vision. So World Vision is a humanitarian aid organization. It helps kids in need, so some of the poorest kids around the world. And I was working with big churches, and I was traveling around the country, and I was basically making money. That's what I did. I mean, you can talk whatever it was, but it was like, hey, here's the need. Give us your money. And so that's what I was doing, and, and it was a wonderful job, and I loved it. And I was sitting there praying, and I was listening, and the Lord downloaded, as clear as could be, 2 Kings 6. Now, when you get a Bible verse where the Lord speaks into you, 2 Kings is not the area that you want, because you have to really decipher, Lord, what do you have for me? So 2 Kings 6 comes into my heart, and so I say, okay, so, uh, I'm going to open up my Bible. I open up my Bible, 2 Kings 6, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's get some clarity and I got nothing. Have you ever had that? Where you hear something from the Lord, you hear a Bible verse, you open it up, and you think, nothing. There, there is nothing. And matter of fact, I actually went down the road a little bit further, and I started making things up in my head to make it make sense. You know what I'm saying? And it made it even less sense as I was doing that. Nothing. And so I just kind of let it go. Oftentimes I think, oh, I heard wrong. That's fine. I am okay to hear wrong. It's okay. You, you hear from the Lord, and then you discern. So a couple months later, I go farther down the road. A couple months later, I'm sitting there in prayer, and 2 Kings 6 comes into my head. And I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or this is just something else. So I open up my Bible. I'm on a plane. I'm thinking, I'm closer to heaven. Maybe there's something that will download on this. So I'm traveling in 2 Kings 6. I open it up. And if it was possible to get less than nothing, I got less than nothing that time. I could not figure this out, and it was driving me crazy. Fast forward almost a year later, and I'm at this big church, and it's this old church that really this large congregation meets at, but they had converted this old stone church building. I get super jealous of churches like this. This is like my dream. 
we are renovating and we're building the upstairs uh, as we speak. And so it's cool to renovate, but to get that old stone church that has just that, all that, you know, history was amazing. And outside the auditorium, they had one of those little like wedding chapels, you know, that seats 50 people. And I walk in and I remember it vividly because I can remember it like it is uh, like right today. And there was the sun was setting and the sun was coming into this beautiful stained glass windows. And up front was this uh, Bible. And it was one of those like 50 pound gold plated Bibles, King James version that I, I just pictured like John Vandergren uses at his house. You know, where it's just like, you have to turn the page like that. And it was 2 Kings 6. And uh, I walk up there, and 2 Kings 6 is, the, is how it's open to. And I'm just like, what is going on? And so I enter prayer, and I read it. New King, or King James Version is a little bit even harder. You want to translate New King James Version while you're trying to figure it out. And so I'm reading this, this verse, and God gave clarity to me right away on what it meant. And it was amazing, because we're going we're gonna to live in it. But it's like this moment where God brings great clarity. And so today we're going to talk about 2 Kings 6. And we're going, this is going to be obvious as can be. We're going to talk about four lepers, obviously. Four lepers. And it's going to bring a lot of clarity, I hope, for us. Because what happened was it will go perfectly in line with our mind-blowing faith. Because this is a mind-blowing story. But in addition to it, he really is downloading this for me, for my future. And I believe he's downloading it for us for this moment as a church. And so I get this second King six and it's all about these four lepers. And what it's saying is a screaming to me that it's time for me, Kurt to start activating the people of God to start sharing the good news. That was the clarity to me was it was time for me to activate the body to sharing the good news. We are at mission critical when it comes to sharing the good news right now, mission critical. And so he, he did this, and so he said, it's time for us to start saying, okay, we have this good news. What is the responsibility for each one of us, each believer with the good news? What are we supposed to do with it? And so with the richness of the gospel, with the truth that will make us more secure and more joyful than we ever imagined, we have this responsibility of what we're supposed to do with the good news. So keep in mind that Life verse 2 Kings 6 is not necessarily one that you like love to have, but it's this long story that brought so much clarity to me. And so a couple months after I read, uh, or I read this Bible, I got this clarity that this was going to be my next thing. I get a crazy Australian, my crazy Australian friend. Everyone needs a good crazy Australian friend. If you don't have one, go look for a crazy Australian friend. And this crazy Australian friend was working in London to make it even more crazy, and he gives me a call. And he's working for this thing. He's in charge of this thing called Alpha. And I've told you this multiple times. But he said, I, want, I have the next job for you. He said, I want you traveling around the world. And I want you to be the marketing and the communications guy for this ministry called Alpha. And so for the next like three years after that, I got to spend uh, uh, basically every month traveling around the world, seeing what God was doing amongst people, how people were sharing the new, good news and South Africa, and Malaysia, and UK, and Canada, and Argentina, and all these incredible places where you just got to see God move in miraculous ways. Alpha, for you don't know, is this course that I got to work for. And it's an evangelism course. And so what it is, is basically you create this space where you sit tables around. We serve food, 
and is this place where people can come in a non-judgmental way talk about God. It's for people who don't yet believe in God. It's incredible. And, and, and every year, about a million people go through these courses. And the amazing thing about it is that 80% of the people who go through it become Christians. It's incredible. And in a real way. And so what, we, what I got to do is go around. I got to see how God was sharing the good news. And it's just a place where people can explore. So I've shared the story of how I've got up here now. And I believe that 2 Kings 6 was a word for me to go work for Alpha. And I believe, as I was praying about what I was going to preach on today, it is a word for us in this moment today as well. And so hopefully it will bring more clarity than the first time when I heard 2 Kings 6. God put us in the heart of the city. God put us in the heart of the city. God put us at Gravely and Bridgeport. Now, one of the amazing things about being put at Gravely and Bridgeport is that for all of us OG redeemed people, we've been praying for years for a place, a place that God would put us that would, that would align with our needs, but would also align with our mission. And so when God gave us a place, sometimes the, 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 the kind of temptation can be to say, okay, the mission is now here and the body is now here. We're kind of can hit cruise control. But in some ways, when he gave us a building, he said, okay, now your mission is beginning. In 2022, at the heart of the city, he's saying our mission is beginning in a lot of ways because 2 Kings 6, I think, is part of our mission. So let's dig in there. Here we are, 2 Kings 6, and we are with the prophet Elisha, okay? Not Elijah, Elisha. I did Elijah a couple weeks ago, and now we're with the prophet Elisha. And the story is set during this ongoing conflict that's happening, okay? So you have Israel who's in conflict with their northern neighbor. This is a common story that's happening. And so the context of the story is that the king Aram from the north decides that he needs to hunt and kill the prophet Elijah. So what's happening is Elijah is getting this supernatural vision where he's getting this supernatural vision where King Aram is having these battle plans, and God is downloading the prophet what the king's going to do. And then he's going to the king of Israel, and he's like, here's going to be his next move. So the king, Aram, can never gain an advantage. And so if you're the king that has that problem, what do you do? You go take Elisha out, right? And so you're going to go headhunting for Elisha. Whenever I talk about this, and Marty talked just, uh, last week about prophets as well, keep in mind that profit life is not easy life. What we've made profits in America in 2022 is a lot different than what profits were in the Old Testament. This is not an easy life. And so Elisha is sitting there, and, and the, the enemy comes, and they surround him, and God comes and says, I'm going to blind the people, the enemy. So the blinds the enemy, and Elisha is able to escape. And Elisha goes to the northern town of Samaria where he stays. And so this is the setting. And so there's this fortified city of Samaria with Elisha within the city walls. And so let's start here. 2 Kings 6, 24 through 25. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. This is what we're going to talk about. So King Aram returns to fight Israel, 
and we see that he besieges this capital city, all right? Now, ancient sieges of cities, try to say that three times fast. I practiced that about five times last night. Ancient sieges of cities, see, I can't even do it twice, (laughs) involved complete blockades, okay? So you're in the city, and they surround it, and they're not letting anything in, and they're not letting anything out. There is no humanitarian ceasefire in those days, okay? They're not letting anything in, and they're not letting anything out. And so Samaria, a great walled-off city, is cut off from the rest of the world. And so the city is experiencing famine. They're experiencing extreme hunger. And so we see this. The siege, 2 Kings 6.25, the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. So what we see is that extreme survival mode is happening in Samaria. Okay? I know that we're facing inflation here. I actually don't want to make light of facing inflation. I know that it's affecting people. But $5 a gallon of gas is nothing compared to what they're experiencing. Because what we see is, is that it's saying that they're paying insane prices for things that are discarded. Okay? So what we see is that the one severed donkey's head, one of the least nourishing and one of the most least, uh, it's really just repulsive, let's just be honest, things in an animal, uh, the head, let alone a donkey's head, is going for the American equivalent, if you do the math, and I don't trust my math completely, but it's about $720 for a donkey's head is what it would be right now. And so these people are having to feed their family. They're paying $720 for a donkey head. I have not bought donkey head in a while, but I talked to Brian before, our farmer Brian, and he said that's over the top for donkey head, $720. (laughs) So we know. But this is insane, and it will help me stop from complaining about my 30 cents inflation of my Americano every morning because that's rough too. But then it goes on. It's dire in the city, 2 Kings 6, 26-27. As the king of Israel was passing by the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help for for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had a sackcloth beneath on his body. A woman cries out, a simple cry, please, please, please help us. This is the cry. But the king replies this, hope is lost. Hope is lost. There is no hope left in this city. He says, I can't help you. Maybe the Lord could have helped you, but he's not around either, it seems. But we see this, that the king of Israel is helpless and he's frantic. These are two things that you do not want the leader of your community to be facing, right? And he cries out with anger at the Lord. And he cries out and, and by this thing because he's saying, they're literally eating their kids. Donkey heads are 720 Now they're eating their kids. This is dire situation. If it didn't feel like it was already, hope was lost, once the king finds out about this, 
he rips off his clothes and he cries and he learns about the desperate extent of his people. And this is an expression of deep sorrow and of distress. Like, I can't do anything about this. I'm going to rip my clothes. And this is an expression of deep sorrow. I think we can relate to this a little bit in our society. I really do. I think that, that I believe that we are in a time where people are crying out for help. And we're crying out for anyone to do something about their pain and their suffering. Anybody to do something about peace in our cities. And I honestly actually give people the benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of times city leaders don't know what to do right now. And, and I think that's one of the challenges. And, and, and as I was reading this, I was thinking, we need to be praying for our city leaders. Because it's so frantic and it's so helpless. And I, I honestly, I, I lead this church and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. And so there's these moments where, where it, it's helpless and, and, and sorrow is happening, and then they go to their leaders, and their leaders are like, I don't know what to do. And so this is as dire as it gets. And the people in our cities are desperate too. No, we are not in a besieged city. No, I don't think any of you will be de- eating donkey head this week, and I hope not at least. No, I hope that we won't have to eat any of our kids. My oldest is here, so watch out, buddy. I'm just joking. But people are walking around like little besieged cities. I really feel that. People on an individual level are walking around like besieged cities. We have people in our lives and in our cities that are tied up and they're bound. They're tied up and they're bound. It's like Satan has taken ropes and have tied them up, and they don't know what to do. And he's besieged their minds, and he's besieged their hearts. He's surrounded them and not let anything good come in. And what we see is that they don't have freedom, and they don't have peace, and they don't have joy. So without even knowing it, they're these besieged cities that are searching anywhere for freedom, for peace, and for joy. There are these little besieged cities that are walking around. And so what happens is in search they survive, to survive the torment of their hearts and their minds being trapped and attacked, they are looking for anything. They become addicted to drugs and to alcohol. They're like, if I just take one more hit, if I just take one more drink, I will experience peace. But we know where that leads to. They explore every sexual fantasy and every identity that they can. We see that right now, right? Because what they do is they think joy must be when I fully, truly know myself or joy must be when I have just one more good time with somebody. And we see that. They let selfishness rule them. They say more stuff, more money, more, more, more. But it leads to emptiness and anxiety and worry. Or... I think we've gotten to a point where nihilism comes over the people. Nihilism. Satan has them so bound. He has them so tied up. He's attacking their minds and he's attacking their hearts in a way that he's besieging them without them not even knowing. And what's happening is they become the place where they say, life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Why do I even care? Why would I even do this religious thing? Why would I even follow these moral principles? It's meaningless. And what we see is that Satan has wrapped them out and he's created desperation like a besieged city in our cities, amongst our families and our neighbors and our coworkers. And they're crying out, we need help. And what they're getting is nothing back in some ways. 
It's important to understand this for the rest of the story. Because the next thing the king's going to do is he's going to blame Elisha. So let's keep going. 2 Kings 6, 31 through 72. Sorry, there's a lot of reading today. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha's son of Shaphat uh, remains on his shoulders today. Now, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead of him, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how the murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was t- still taking time to, th- when he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. The king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a Shia for, of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two Shias a bar, barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whom the ar- whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, meaning rain, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. So here we find the elders sitting around and they're saying, Elisha, what are we supposed to do? Like even the elders are like, I don't know what is going on. And the king's coming, he sends his man, he's coming to kill and cut off Elijah's head. And this is a secret, uh, this is a cry of the community. It's like, we're going to kill this guy, maybe the Lord will take care of it. And Elisha then announces this incredible prophecy. He says, to save the city, and to be, that there is going to be uh, basically rains from heaven, and everything's going to be okay. This is really hard for people to believe. I put myself in these situations often. I think we don't do that enough in the Bible. And I can be like, oh, man, this armed guy didn't have enough faith. But I don't know that I would have enough faith as well. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Even if it rains, it's not going to solve the famine in 24 hours. And so what we see this is that they're, they're eating donkey heads, and there's little hope. And Christians, we can find ourselves in this situation as well. When we speak a word to helpless, hopeless people in faith, they're sometimes going to, most oftentimes, respond negatively to that as well. They're going to be like, this doesn't even make sense. What you're saying doesn't make sense. We know that it makes sense. Elisha knew that it made sense because he got it from God, but they won't receive it like that. He says, look, prices compared to what people are paying right now are going to be so much better. But Elisha tells everyone that within 24 hours of the siege, there is going to be plenty to eat. Now, he's not saying it's going to be like, just year of plenty, but he is saying it's like grocery outlet prices versus whole food prices. That's what I, how I read it. So what we're going to see is that the officer assisting the king found the prophecy to be unbelievable, and Elisha's like, you're not going to get any food. And so what we see is that we're going to keep going, but even if, we believe, if people, we say stuff that will be in faith, people won't necessarily respond to it negatively. So a city that was once great, in the capital city, in the northern kingdom, a city that is fortified, we see this, much like our communities, where we create a world where we, they think they're never going to face hardship, where they think, okay, the fortified city will protect us. We're never going to have to deal with these things, right? And so what we see is that the city is now facing things that they never thought they would face, and they are in dire straits. Now, there's one place that would be worse than a besieged city. There's only one place that would be worse than a besieged city, and that's where we find the four lepers. So here we go, 2 Kings 7, 3 through 4. 
Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. So there's only one place worse than being in a besieged city. That's being a leper that's outside of a besieged city. Because Mosaic law, they were forbidden to enter the city. So they were outcast of their own city. They're probably living in these huts, and they're not allowed to interact with any non-lepers. This is bad news. They're surrounded by an army. Then they're like right by the city walls, and they can't even get to where the food is. So they're literally dying. People in the cities didn't want to have to do anything with these lepers, even before the besiege. And so what is, what the siege, so we see this. I think sometimes we are at a place, or I feel like I can be at a place, and I, I use this loosely, where we feel like we can be the lepers as well. Like we're outside the city. I, I know this. Meg and I, as we've taken our faith seriously, as we've leaned into our faith, there's been many people that have just not wanted to be in relationship with us anymore. And, that, and that's totally fine. I was actually talking to somebody, and they were like, you know, when you really take your faith seriously, when you really start to live this out, she was saying, my phone gets a lot quieter. People don't come to me for advice. They're not calling me to go just party with them. And it's this weird place where you feel like many of us in the Christian communities can feel like we're in this city, but we're not in this city. We're almost like, we're almost like lepers outside the city that no one wants to do anything with, which, which is fine. It's just a place where sometimes we find ourselves. But what we see is that these, these lepers have to make a choice. There, there are three options. One, we could stay here, and we're going to die. We could go into the city, and we'll die. So really the only choice we have is to go to our enemy's camp. And when that's your only choice, you're in even more trouble than you think because you're going to go and get killed. So they're saying, rather than gradually die, let's take a shot. Worst comes to worst, they're going to kill us immediately, and then we won't gradually die. We'll die immediately. And so they go, and they go, and they, they go with this courageous uh, thing to head into the camp, and we see that desperate times call for desperate measures in 2 Kings 7. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Armenians, and they, they reached the edge of the camp, and one of them was, one of, one was there for the Lord to cause the Armenians to hear the sound of the chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to each other, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys, and they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp entered one of the tents and ate and drank. They took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it, and they hid them also. So they entered the camp at night, and there's these lepers find that the, the soldiers have fled. This mighty army has fled. It's this mind-blowing thing. The Lord has caused them to hear noises where they think that the Hittites, which would be Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and the Egyptians' armies had come, and they're like, Israel hired them, and we're going to get attacked on both sides. So they fled, they fled, and they go to their hometown. Well, one of the things is when you flee like that, you don't take everything. And so the lepers stroll in, 
and there's gold and there's silver and there's food, most importantly, and it's like finding a buried treasure. And what we see is that the, the lepers filled their own stomachs and they filled their pockets and they even hid some of their treasure so that they could retreat it later. They reacted the same way I would react. You got to take care of number one. It's like, I've been sitting outside the city. I'm about to die. Let's, let's get our food. Let's get our gold. Let's get our silver. Let's hide it because this is like year of plenty. Let's go. And we see this. It's, a, it's not the correct response, but it's a normal one. And they say, these people have gone from hopelessness to undeserved, unfathomable, hard to believe riches. And they are experiencing the good news. They're experiencing this moment of good news. They are enjoying the blessing. They were hungry and they were sick and now they are eating and drinking. They were at the end of their lives and now they have a second chance. And God saved them and met their needs. And they found silver and gold and clothing and they were blessed beyond imagine. And they said, this is awesome. This is like finding a lot, like winning a lottery. And we see this multiple times that God uses people in mighty ways. And it's no more true than these four lepers. And their first reaction is that I'm going to just take care of myself. And that's oftentimes our first reaction as well. It seems to be human nature to be selfish. But we see that one of them sets up and says, this isn't just for us. This is good, but it isn't just for us. Verse 9, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. Conviction sets in, and they realize it's time to share the good news with others rather than just taking it and keeping it themselves. They recognize that it's good news for the city. The treasure and the spoils would be changed, would change everything for the city. The good news is going to set the city free. They're going to be free. It's amazing. The good news will set the city free. And even though the city turned its backs on them, they don't turn their backs on the city. And we, and we don't turn our backs on the city yet either. We have the good news, and it changes everything. It's changed my life. I know it's changed your life. And what are we going to do with that good news? With a city that's hopeless, what we see is that the four lepers are that, that, that they, they, they step out in faith. The city and these lepers were in the worst situation they had ever experienced. They were surrounded by their enemies. They had no food. They were eating donkey heads and their children. The king had no direction. It was hopeless. But we find people of faith stepping out in faith and good for the good of the city. And I know that the world seems crazy and it seems helpless. And our, nature, our natural reaction is this, to plug our ears and just hope that it all kind of takes care of itself. But I believe that the Lord is calling us to so much more during this time. One of the biggest things that we could do is build a place like a church where few of us can huddle together, we can plug our ears, and we can just stay with like-minded people and just be like, okay, that world's crazy out there. Let's just have a little bit of time away from it. We can fill our lives with podcasts and with Christian music and with reading the Bible and all the right things, but we found these riches, we found salvation, we found the good news, we found the thing that changes everything 
for everyone. And are we going to sit there and we're going to hide it? We're going to sit there and we're going to just consume more and more, eat more food, take more gold, take more silver, take more clothes. Or are we going to say, you know what? We have the good news for people who are hopeless and helpless. We have salvation. We have, the, we have Jesus. And we're going to go take it to the city. We have found the riches. We have been blessed by God. But we really don't want to share the good news with the world. But we know, like the lepers, that that's not the right positioning to have. They had to share it, and we do too. And they don't expect everyone to believe the good news. You're going to see, I'm not going to read it, but there's many people that still don't believe when they, when they come and tell the good news. Not everyone's going to accept it. But Elisha predicted it, and it happened. Even in hopeless situations, sometimes it's hard for people to believe the good news. But for us, doubt and fear can't hold us back from sharing the good news. We have the good news that Jesus died on the cross and that all humanity now has salvation. And what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it when we, when we know that we have these treasures, when we know that we have the thing that will change everything for everyone? And that's the biggest question, I think, in the American church right now. I think that we have become a little uh, selfish. I, I was going to look for a nicer word, but it's selfish. And the Lord is calling us out to the mission field, and he's saying, you have the good news. Here's your opportunity. I'm going to end this way. Jay, you come on up. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call us. I, I feel like my whole job here since I've been pastoring for the last year is just to call people to more, and I apologize in advance for calling you to more again. But I think it's a significant call that we're trying to do here. I think that the Lord wants to do something significant, not to get more people in the door, but to change more lives. And so we're going to be running Alpha, September 21st. And we're going to be faced like the lepers that have the good news. What are we going to do about it? Now, the nice thing about Alpha is that it's really simple because you don't have to convert the person. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have exactly what to say so that everyone now believes. You have to say, who are the people in my life that need good news? Who are the people that are helpless and hopeless and need community? Where are they? Who are they? And this is the ticket right here where we say, just come and share a meal. That's literally it. We'll have five tables. We're going to have good cooking. If there's one thing we know about Redeem, we have good cooking. We have that all lined up. If anybody does want to cook, we, we have a couple spots. But we're going to just share a meal, and we're going to get together. And it's a non-judgmental place where people can just talk about God. Maybe they've explored God before, and they're like, I've just never felt him. Maybe they're like, I, I, I've really explored God, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Or maybe many people like, I used to go to church and I don't know what happened. Or maybe it's like, I've just never been in community with Christians that I like. That's oftentimes a lot of people. But to create a space where it's just getting around the table and talking about God and just asking people, what are your thoughts on that? So it's a video series. And uh, they watch it. And then you eat and you talk. That's literally it. I'll be hosting a table. Many of you will be hosting a table. Joe, I got you as my helper again this year. I don't think I told you that. But it's just, we just sit together 
and we talk about the most important thing in life to a hopeless and a helpless world. So that's what I'm calling us to. If we're a church, one of the most significant part of our ministries is birthing babies, meaning bringing new people into the body, into the family of Christ. And that's my desire. If it's just us getting together on Sundays, I think we, you guys got the wrong pastor. But it's calling people to a whole new world. Each one of us, I guarantee, have five people that you can ask and just say, hey, would you be interested in coming to Alpha? So here's the first step. So September 21st, it's eight weeks. We got it all covered, but there's a couple things that we're asking you to do. One, this week, if you're interested in joining and coming, I highly recommend if you have not gone through the Alpha experience, you first come to. Uh, many of you guys that went through it, we did this before COVID as well, and like a ton of people came. It was awesome. It was, I think we had like 60 people. And many of the church came. And so if you want to, there's sign-up sheets on the Connect table. We'd love for you, if you're just even interested in coming, just your name and your email and we'll follow up. On that, if you're interested in coming or you're interested in helping as well, then you can just write interested in helping. Cooking, hospitality, cleaning up and all that stuff, and prayer team are what we need. One of the secrets of Alpha is that we trust the Holy Spirit does the conversion. So the most important part of Alpha is actually the prayer team because they're praying by name for each person to just hear the knock of the Lord and open up. There's no convincing. There's no tricking. It's no Holy Spirit come and convert this person back to you. That's the secret of Alpha. So you can just put your name and, and put your name on there and, and then what you want to help with. Now, if that's not you, you're not out in the woods. The only way this works is if everyone invites. So each week we'll have a different kind of thing as you come to church and you'll hear different things that we're going to do, different ways that you can invite. But be praying. And next week we're going to have this where we're going to be praying for five people that you feel the Holy Spirit says this is who you're supposed to invite. This is not a Kurt thing. This is not a, this is not a Jonathan's best mind. This is not Angela's best mind. This is Holy Spirit, who do you want me to invite? And he'll start revealing stuff to you, I think. And you just invite people. And here's the trick. Four out of those five are going to say no. For me, it's usually five out of five, and that's fine if that happens. But it's the process and the boldness and the lepers going into the camp and being like, oh my goodness, I have this good news. And just we can consume, 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 consume as a church. And we forget that behind us are all these people who are eating donkey heads and eating their children. They're just like, we need help. We need hope. And the church, like the lepers, has to turn back and they have to say, hey, we have the word for you. And Alpha creates a space where we can present the good news in a way that's non-threatening, but in a way that everyone can be a part of. Some of you may feel like you don't have the evangelism gift. That's okay. You have the invite gift. Hey, just come eat a meal with me. And you know the most important thing with Alpha is that getting somebody to come to church is like the worst way to get them to, not the worst way, but it's really challenging for them to get to believe and to understand God. 
But Alpha creates that space that says, I have so many questions and I want to talk to somebody about it. Rather than me standing up here and talking to them, they get to say, I have a lot of questions and the Holy Spirit will be converting them through those questions. So I'm really excited about it. So here's your next step. You can sign up if you want to be a part. I highly recommend, if you haven't been, it's a great time. If you're not part of a life group, it's a great way to get connected within the body. And the second one is if there's anything you want to do to help, just write your name down there. And just even if it's I don't know what, just write I will help, all right, next to your name. So go ahead and stand up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the good news. We thank you that we have salvation. We thank you that even when we felt like we were in besieged cities, when Satan was just on our, just attacking our hearts and attacking our minds, we just get a weight on you and we get to say, Lord, we know that you are a provider. We know that you are salvation. We know that you are a protector. We know that you will come through. So if there's anybody right now that is just going through it, we pray against the schemes of the enemy right now. We pray against bondage right now over this body. Lord, we pray against anxiety. We pray against worry. We pray against addiction right now in Jesus' name. We pray for freedom for each person here. Lord, because when we know freedom and we know joy and we know peace, Lord, it changes everything. And we know that that only comes through your Holy Spirit. So I pray right now that any area that people are just feeling besieged or feeling attacked or feeling, feeling, feeling bonded by the devil, it would be gone in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd be stirring up each person. I pray that you would remind us of our first love, which is you, and remind us of our salvation, and remind us when we were so far from God, but then when we came back to God and it was like good news, it was like being in a famine situation and having all the food in the world. Lord, bring us back to that moment so that when we interact with people who aren't there, that they would notice something different in us. Lord, for many of us that have been walking with the Lord for years, I pray right now, Lord, that you would stir in them a whole new love for you, that you would stir in them a new uh, way to interact with people that are far from God. And Lord, I pray that you would just remind them of their salvation. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for everything that you provide that's good. We know that it comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.